just to um, just to let you know, over the next several weeks, actually next week, John Mark is going to be speaking, and the week after that, Randall Worley is going to be speaking, and the week after that, Andy Squire is going to be speaking, and I'm going to be here to make sure they don't say anything wrong. I'll be gone next week, but other than that, I'll be here, so... I was going to say as little as I possibly can about the election because it's such a divisive, divisive situation. But um, first of all, um, you need to vote your conscience. You need to vote, but you need to vote. You need to vote your conscience. Um, free will is so important to the Lord. It was important enough that Sin got into the world because of it. But there's something about people choosing, making choices, and living with their choices to the Lord. Now, one of the things I was thinking about, having been a history major in college, and I made an A in constitutional law. Actually, my professor gave me a B, and I talked him into an A. Only time in my life I ever did that, and only time in my life I felt like I deserved better than I got. So, But one of the things that um, we need to pay attention to is the oath of office. You need to understand what you're electing someone to do. You're electing someone that solemnly swears or affirms that they will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States and will to the best of their ability preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. When it's all said and done, that's their their job description. And our our the strength of our nation, unlike any other nation on earth, is that as we have respected the separation of powers the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branch, we have sustained basically this experiment 240-plus years. So that's what you're electing there. So I'm going to leave it at that. I do know we have a lot of thinking people in the room who don't always think alike, and that's a good thing. That's all right. So everybody okay with that? All right. Okay. Good deal. Now, something almost as important, the the website you send information to. (laughs) We we say it's qccchurch.com or .gmail.com. It's really qqueencitychurch. So it's qcchurch. So if you aren't thinking and you do what we tell you. I've said it. We've all said it. And then we have to sort of back up. Send your email request if you want to be on these email lists too. Is it up on the screen again? Probably not. But it's QC Church, not QCC Church. Okay. Everybody good with that? Okay. Um, Is it up there now? Oh. I'm trying to get back online here, so. How did I get there? What happened to me here? 
There it is. Everybody got that? Good, 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 good. Okay. Let me see if I can... Um... Okay. <laughs> not quite ready for primetime media people right here. It's me, not them. I'm, I'm the one messing it up. Let's give it up for Christopher and Abby and that crowd back there, man. They do a great job. Okay, there you go. All right, let me... I have um, way more to say than I have time to say it. Um, But I did want to actually skip over what I'm going to say and say something else. Let's read this together. Stand up with me and let's read this one verse together. No one has seen God... At any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let that, let that soak in a second. Let's read it one more time. Once is good, twice is better, right? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Okay, you can grab a seat. We're going to look at um, the supernatural ways of God, and we're looking at it based on Exodus chapter 3 and Moses at the burning bush, uh, one of my very, very favorite uh, stories. And when I'm thinking about this, I'm also thinking about how misrepresented God has been in so many, in so many ways. And what I mean by that is if you get the sum total of who you believe God is out of the Old Testament, you will have an inaccurate viewpoint of who he is. You will have a skewed viewpoint of who he is. If you get your concept of being a prophet or prophetic ministry out of the Old Testament, you will be a terror to the local church. You will not have an accurate viewpoint of what a New Testament prophet or New Testament prophetic ministry is. But a lot of people do that. Now, when I was looking at this verse this morning early, um, it struck me that there is a tension or a comparison between no one has seen God and Jesus has declared him. You see what I'm saying? Which to me... If you think he's talking about seeing God visibly, doesn't really make any sense. Because you can find out in the Old Testament, Moses and several other people really had encounters where they, in some way, shape, or form, saw, saw God. So what was Jesus saying here? He was saying that no one has accurately seen God at any time. Until the only begotten son who was in the bosom of the father declared him. You with me? Here's what that means. To see God accurately, you have to see the son. And see, even the disciples couldn't understand that at one point. They said, uh, one of them said to Jesus, it will be, show us the father and it will be sufficient for us. And what they, what um, one of the apostles was saying, show us the Father and we will be filled with 
unending strength. That's part of what those verses mean. But what they were always thinking was a visual viewing. When Jesus was really more interested in revealing the character and the nature of God through his own life and the things he did. This is really, really, really a significant thing. Jesus accurately declared who the Father is. Jesus actually said to, I can't think it was Philip, have I been so long with you and you have not seen the Father? Now, some people think Jesus was saying he was the Father and there's not really Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and there's no Trinity and on and on it goes. Oh, my goodness, the stuff people get in their minds. Jesus came to show us the clearest, most accurate picture of who God is through that life. I really, I really do love that. So, um, here's what I'm talking about this morning. Besides that, but it's part of that. I found in Exodus chapter three a pattern of God's ways. Those of you that take notes, this is a good time. It may be the only time you actually feel like you accomplished accurate notes from anything I've ever said. (laughs) That's why we record all this stuff and uh, put it online for free. We find a pattern of God's ways, and I'm going to show you a little bit about this, and I don't know if we'll get through all seven of them. Each one of them have 18 points, but we'll try. Number one, God knows your name. Number two... God is compassionate. Number three, God comes to do something, but not by himself. And number four, God is committed to improving our lives. Anybody excited yet? Are you just... All right, one one little... I hate it when I have... You know, I feel like I'm pulling teeth sometimes, getting an amen, but if I don't earn it, you know, maybe... Where did we stop? God is committed to improving our lives. That's good news. Okay, I'm fine. (laughs) Number five, God makes promises to us. Number six, God knows you will face challenges. And number seven, God knows that his plan will be successful. And so what I'm saying is I have found out of um, Exodus 3, 1 through 10, this pattern. And the Bible speaks on many different levels. The Bible can, uh, in, in most cases, does have the, uh, when you read a portion of Scripture, the meaning is simply what it says. But then there can be, um, deeper meanings that uh, have applications to your life uh, that are not necessarily the primary meaning, but they can still they can still have meaning to it. Um, and and then there are types and shadows. There there word pictures. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. It says in the New Testament. Well, what does that mean, Christ, our Passover? Well. If you understand the Passover lamb, if you understand how Israel was delivered from Egypt through the blood of the lamb being sprinkled over the door of their homes, 
you can understand that Christ, our personal Passover, was sacrificed for us and his blood applied to, if you want to put it this way, the doorpost of your heart, um, ransoms us, gives us access out of the world into the kingdom. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. We find over in, over in the, in the epistles. And so when I'm reading these verses, I mean, I have to date, uh, and I'm, I'm almost feeling sorry for you guys, almost 20 pages of notes. And, um, I haven't touched on a lot of the, the amazing ideas in here. I mean, I, I scarcely mentioned that thing about favor. A couple of weeks ago, you remember I went to Deuteronomy 33, that very bizarre, obscure verse that talks about Moses blessing the tribes of Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with the favor of the God who dwelt in the bush. Dwelt in the bush? What kind of God dwells in the bush? Well, our God apparently liked dwelling in that blackberry bush back there many thousands of years ago. Um, and he granted favor as the God who dwelt in the bush... And he granted it to Joseph, and he granted it to Moses. And because Moses had favor, two million people got set free from bondage. Because Joseph had favor, his entire family group got rescued. Now, here's what that comes down to. We talk a lot about it. Because Jesus has favor, you have your sins forgiven, have your... um you get healed. There's so many things that happen to you, not primarily just because God loves us, but because of a favor that comes from being a part of the body of Jesus Christ. We get his favor. And it works that natural way in life. I'm looking over here at Eric Hurchin. Eric's an amazing, um, what are you, an artist? I don't know what, you know, and, and I think about John Mark and I think about Christopher. I think about all these different people who have these amazing skills and amazing talents, and the people that run with them benefit from their favor. And see, what we want to see is we want to see a congregation so eaten up with individual favor that everyone else can somehow benefit from that we can change a city. You see, but we see it in... Joseph's favor. Joseph saves his entire family. Joseph saves an entire nation. Through favor he found in God. And so what is wonderful about that is there are people who had no clue about how wonderful God was, had their lives preserved because a man named Joseph found out how wonderful God was to the degree that he could save an entire nation. All he had to do was go through 22 years of misery and bam, they were home free. That's all it took. 22 years of ministry. 80-year-old Moses. That is hysterical to me. I cannot get over, okay, has God got a sense of humor? He has to. Why do you say that? He asked an 80-year-old murderer to go be the redeemer of his nation of two million slaves. Did he not check his references? That's crazy, right? And then here's how he equips him. He gives, he meets the burning, the burning bush. That's crazy. God says, Moses, go tell him how you met me. So there's Moses in front of the elders of Israel, 
For all they know, he's still a murderer. I don't know. Apparently, it said all the men died who were mad at him for killing that guy. But Moses goes to the elders of Israel, and they say, okay, your God's going to deliver us. Tell us about him. What's his name? And so Moses has his unpronounceable name. <laughs> Sent me. Well, how, how did, where'd you meet him? Well, um, <laughs> and he's got to convince them. He met this God that talked to him out of a burning bush. That's crazy. And then he had these skills. God gave him these tools. And this is an amazing thing even about the tools. God says to him, Moses, how's this going to work? And he says, what do you have in your hand? Do you know what that says to me on one level? God has given everybody something in their hand that can change the nations. What do you have in your hand? Well, I have this stick or staff or shepherd's staff. And he says, throw it on the ground. And it turns into a snake. Well, that snake was so frightening, Moses ran away from it. And so he says, what am I going to do about the snake? And the Lord says, it's easy. Pick him up by his tail. You don't pick a snake up by its tail. Haven't you seen those TV shows where they trap them behind the neck so they don't get bit? And so Moses has to learn how to function in faith and learn how to move in the supernatural by doing things God told him to do that in the natural would have a disastrous end. Now, that's a scary thing. I'm giving license to people to go do weird, crazy things. It's not going to end well. No, man, I'm just reading the book. Just telling you what the book's. And so then he has this thing where he sticks his hand in his shirt, and he pulls it out, and he's got leprosy, and he sticks his hand in his shirt, and he pulls it out, and it's not leprosy. And so this is how God sends Moses to save these two million uh, Jewish slaves. And then he's got the water. He pours the water out from the Nile, and it becomes blood. And then he tries to convince the Lord he can't speak. Now, in Acts, we find Moses described as a man mighty in word and deed. But when God was trying to convince Moses to use the unpronounceable name and the story about the burning bush and the stick and the snake and the hand and the leprosy and the blood on the ground, Moses really didn't want to go, so he said, I'm not the guy. I can't even talk. But you can't out-talk God. He will call people to do. We, we think God will never ask me to do what I can't do. I've got news for you. He probably will never ask you to do something you can do. That's way more biblical than that other idea. God will never ask me to do anything I can do. That's real safe. You go hiding out a while and you, you'll be bored in your life. No, you need to get out there on the, on the skinny end of the branch. Okay. So this is the God we are... Now, he didn't change like in the Middle Ages somewhere, folks. God's still this way. I love it. He said, "Who? I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I was looking back through the Bible and I was thinking, okay, now you've got the God of Moses, but he's called himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What was he like to Abraham? Well, here's what he was like to Abraham. When Abraham was 75, he's, and this is a very wealthy man, he said, Abram, didn't have a name change yet. Abram, I've got a great idea. What? Leave. Leave. Yes, leave. Go where? I'll show you on the way. It'll be awesome. Come on.
Then when he was around 100 years old, the Lord promised him he's going to have a baby, he and his wife. We don't even need to get into that. And then there's the whole thing about cutting the animals in half and walking through the pieces in the fiery furnace. And See, we have people that think if God does something unusual, it's the devil. But I don't think they've read the book. There are a lot of things. There are not many things God does. Have you seen the kind of people God picks to be speakers in churches? Now, let's jump into this. I got a... Oh, we started out the God of the right place, the right time, the right person. Boy, Moses was really feeling good about that at first. Yeah, man. Pharaoh wanted to kill me, but next thing you know, they put me in that basket and they put me in that river and his daughter picks me up and instead of killing me, Pharaoh raised me. Right place. Right time, right person. Yee, glory. Then he killed that guy. You remember the story? Killed that Egyptian. Ran off. 40 years in the wilderness. The whole time he's thinking, man, I did the wrong thing. I'm in the wrong place. My life's over. How many of you felt like your life's over? Well, he called Abraham when he was 75. Well, I guess he was a youngster to Moses. Moses was 80. How can your life be over if God's still alive? What are you looking at? Your life's over. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. What, what, what is it your life's over? I started this church. I was almost 60. That is right next to Abraham and Moses level stuff right there, folks. I'm just patting myself on the back. Okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It's up there, right? Yeah, okay. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. Oops. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. If you look through the Bible, you find a number of other places where the Lord calls people by name. And you find seven places where he does it twice. Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses here, Samuel, Samuel, the prophet, Martha, Martha, you're comforted about much serving. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So you find by type that, or you find that God knows people's names. Now, you know, we, we, we could agree with that. Oh, sure he knows. He knows everything. But see, what happens is we operate on two levels, at least. One level is this mental level where we give assent to everything as though that's um, 
as though that has any power to it. Let me put it that way. But then there's this lower level. And you, so you'll say, oh, yeah, God knows my name. Then there's a lower level when God could speak your name in the middle of the night, and it would scare you, scare you half to death. But God knows you by name. I love this. Um, Matthew 10, 29 and 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I thought, what kind of God numbers people's um, hairs? You might say, well, Robin, do you believe that literally? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe it literally. I believe the Lord could look at anybody in this room and tell you exactly how many, how many number of attached or unattached but on your clothing hairs you have. And he could put them in those categories. Or he could separate them into brown, black, blonde, or gray, or dyed. There are like five categories. That's really slick right there. I see old Travis Newton sitting in the back. So he could look at old Travis Newton and he'd go, ah, oh, here's old Travis, yeah. Travis Newton. Ooh, 14,764 hairs counting his beard and his hair. And then he'd look, at, look down here. Now this, this can hurt some feelings. He might look at me and go, uh, 462. But that touches me to know that God has people that your hairs, you know, if he would number the hairs of our head, what else would he want for us? Do you see what I'm saying? What else would he know about us? How, how considerate is he? And I think about Psalm 56, 8, that he puts our tears in a bottle. I've mentioned this before, but Charles Spurgeon uh, called tears liquid prayers. And one of the psalmists, the, it might have been David, I'm not sure. He says, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so we don't realize how much interest God takes in every living person. If the hair of your head are numbered, if he puts your tears in a bottle, if he has a record of those tears, that's, that's what, and I believe, I believe the Bible. I believe, why have a Bible and not believe it? Why have these verses and just skim across it and not get the full benefit? Why not come into contact? Why not have a personal encounter with God who is the God who numbers the hairs of our head? He's that interested in us. He, he knows every single tear in some supernatural way. He has bottled up our tears and kept record written records and the literal evidence of every tear we cry. And you see, there's that marvelous, uh, marvelous promise about uh, in, in the book of Revelation where there's no more tears, there's no more crying. Not maybe this realm, but that realm. 
That's the plan God has for us to bring us into a place where there's no more need. There's no more natural response that is weeping or heartache or brokenness or sorrow. There's no more reason for it. There's no more cause for it. There's a new creation in the heart of God for every one of us that, that all of that will be even, maybe not even a memory, but at best a memory because of who God is. Malachi, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Malachi 3.16 is like the, the, the precursor of WikiLeaks. I mean, you know, that, that is, a ter- it is a terrifying thing. And I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm just saying... If in the natural realm, it can be discovered every single thing you've ever said. You know, that is simply a precursor to the great white throne judgment where every unrepentant act will be brought to your attention to be answered for. Is anybody nervous yet? Man, if that doesn't bring some repentance, I'm not sure what... And then you see the stuff that's come out about all these different people, and you go, oh, my goodness. They would never have said that if they knew somebody was going to find out they said that. All across the aisle. So the Lord listens. He heard them. There's a book of remembrance written before him for those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day when I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So, look to somebody and say, God knows your name. God knows your name. That's amazing. God knows your name. That's prophetic. God knows your name. Number two, God is compassionate. We find here in um, verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Then verse 9, I'll skip down there. He says again, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So God... God felt what they felt. God not only saw what they were going through. I have seen the oppression of my people. So noted. He could have gotten a report. But then he heard their cry. How many of you have ever heard your children cry when they're really hurt, really in trouble? What does that do to you? Or it stimulates in you, uh, you into action unless it's from a spanking. And then this beautiful mutant no, I'm sick, but now I've heard their cry because of the way they've been treated. End of verse seven, and I know their sorrows. You see, that's the wonder of Jesus. The wonder of Jesus is he came knowing full well he was going to know firsthand people's sorrows. 
people's sins, people's sicknesses. I'll read you a verse of scripture here in a minute. It's in a, in a different section. I know, I know, um, I know your sorrows. A lot of people aren't effective leaders until they know what it feels like to fail. Now, that's, that's not a real encouraging concept unless you're a person that's failed. But it's true. If you don't know how people feel, lots of times you can't really help them. You don't have to always feel what they feel, but it's good to be acquainted. It's good to have an understanding. It's good to be sympathetic in the true, in the true sense of the word. Here it is, for he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And there's this concept of a divine exchange taking place at the cross, that Jesus on the cross became sin. In my personal belief, and there are different beliefs about this, but my personal belief, because I believe in that kind of atonement, my personal belief is that Jesus bore in himself the full effect of sin and sickness. And because he did, he could exchange the purity of his life with us because he could take upon himself everything wrong with all of us. He could give to us at the same time everything that was right with him. Yeah, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might not become righteous, but become the very righteousness of God. That's, that's tremendous. And let me, uh, let me go to part three. Anybody okay with that? I mean, everybody okay? Does that make any sense? Part three. Verse 8, so I have come down, say that with me, so I have come down to deliver them. Well, Moses should have said, well, you just need to get over there and do it. See, but the Lord says, I have come down to deliver them. See, God has a lot he wants to do. He's just not willing to do it by himself. The question of why is there evil in the world? Because of us. It's not his fault. I mean, really, you have to look at it that way. You can get mad at God about the evil, but, you know, okay, you could say, well, he should never have given us um, free will. Okay, if, if, you th- if you agree with that, then you get told who to vote for, you get told who to marry, you get told, 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 told. Welcome to that kind of existence that's no good for you and it's no good for God. God wanted people who chose to love him. The most wonderful thing you can do when your life's falling apart and the devil's blaming everybody in the world and God is to say, I really love you, Lord. Side with God. You're never right not to side with God. You can call him a liar. You're wrong. You can say he didn't keep his promises. You're wrong. You just, I mean, that's baseline. That's, 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 um, that never changes. If you can understand, always choose sides with God. 
we think he chooses sides with us. He, no, he never really does that. You, you see um, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. The Lord shows up as the captain of the Lord's host, and Joshua comes at him with a sword and says, Whose side are you on, ours or theirs? And the Lord says, No. But as captain of the Lord's host, I'm now come. Whose side are you on? Come on. But we get all militant, you know. Actually, there's a whole thing about his shoes. First, I have such good stuff if I can only get to. In the first chapter of the book of Joshua, the Lord says, Everywhere the sole of your foot touches, I've given you the land. You have been given land, but you don't have the land you've been given until the sole of your foot touches it. You can think you're awesome, but you're not awesome till you do awesome. You know what I'm saying? But God says, you are awesome. Get walking. Get stepping. Everywhere, not, he didn't even say everywhere the soles of your feet, I've given you the land. Everywhere the soul, singular, foot, singular, I've given you the land. But then when he runs into the uh, captain of the Lord's host and he says, whose side are you on? Mine or theirs? He says, no, as captain of the Lord's host, I'm now come. Then he says, take the shoe off your foot. You're on holy ground. What? It takes two feet to walk out the reality of the kingdom. It takes a foot of faith, which is everywhere you walk, that's your territory. But it takes the foot of humility. He's not on our side. If we're not on his, this is not going to work. And see, if you have too much of one and not the other, you're just going to go in circles. If you're all you are is faith, 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 and you're an arrogant idiot, you're just going to hurt people. You're just going to go in circles. You're just going to cause all kind of trouble. You got faith on everybody to get you. Know, but, you know, I'm just going to, here's that thing. Work out of the way. What's the matter? Why don't you have faith? I've got faith. What's the matter? Get out of the way. Come on. Let's get this thing done. Bless God. I'm here. This ought to work. No, no, no. You gotta have that humility too. You got to be willing to step way out, but you got to be willing to do what he says. You got to be willing to look bad if looking bad's on the schedule. Oh boy. But God comes to do something, he just doesn't do it by himself. He doesn't need you, but he needs somebody. Did you hear that? Well, he doesn't need you, but he needs somebody. It may as well be you. You see, if all God needs me and he can't do without me, gosh, this would never work. This would never work without me. Nostrils flared, you know, all ears perked up. Feeling good about yourself? No, no, no. He needs somebody. I mean, he he usually picks people of pretty low reputation when it comes right down to it. I mean, if you want to get proud of being ministry, he usually picks the sorriest people in the bunch. Man, Robin is brave. The stuff he says, nah, man, I'm a coward. I'm a coward. I'm not brave. I've learned that lesson. I'm not. I'm not brave. I'm not bold. I'm not bold. I may be loud, but I'm not bold. <laughs> but I'm something different in him. But you got to know. You got to know. You got to know. 
got to know. God loves me. Boy, he loves me. But there's some parts about me he don't put up with sometimes. That's why he gave me Donna. She points those points out. God bless Donna. Now, don't not, you know, don't side that. Come on. Don't get that dadgum excited about that. <laughs> when I think about the compassion, Matthew 9, I, I thought I had this here, but in the compassion, how compassionate God is. Jesus looked on the multitude. Jesus looked on the multitude. And he was moved with compassion. Because Jesus is compassionate. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. But then he told them to do something. He said, he's saying, oh man, it just breaks my heart looking at these people. I'm going to do something for them. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you to pray that God will send you into the harvest. That's what he says. Jesus moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. God has come down to do something, but he didn't want to do it by himself. How many of you want to do something with the Lord? Man, I do. Let me ask that again. How many of you want to... I see that hand. Okay. We have uh, ministry teams this morning, and we would love to pray. How many of you need prayer? Raise your hand if you need prayer. Come on up here, and we have people to go and pray for you. And um, Or not. Uh, <laughs> Now, let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Oh, Stephen Giordano and the team are going to pray for you guys. That's going to be awesome. You know, you can come up, too, if you don't even have a need. You just want somebody to care about you a little bit. That's, that's also good. Lay hands on you, bless you, give you something encouragement. Right, Stephen? Yes. Why don't you reach out, reach out and get in touch with somebody. Let's just... Okay, now give them $5. No, no. Well, then give them that 10, smart aleck over there. I heard that. Father, thank you so much for how good you are. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for the place you've given us. Lord, we ask, too, um, there's a great harvest uh, so we pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would send labors into the harvest. Lord, that we would harvest one another. We would care for one another. We would bless one another. We'd be concerned about one another. We've got our way to introduce ourselves to one another. All the things it takes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, guys, these are the best wings on the East Coast. I'm serious. Stephen and I... Stephen Jackson and I went to this place and had wings. I got six because we were just going to try them out, and he kept trying to eat one. I did divide them up, but I was not happy with him getting half those wings. 
and they're not fried. They're cooked. They're smoked, but they double cook them. So they taste fried, but they're not. (laughs) What could be better than that? So let us know if you're coming so we'll have enough. Amen. Hey, have a great week.